Imagine being able to grow your business at 12% year over year for an entire decade. What would that do to your business? What would that do to your colleagues? More importantly, what would that do to your family at home? Welcome to the first part of a four-part series as we talk about creatively overcoming innovation bias. Those numbers you just heard a moment ago come from the example we will use throughout this series around logistics markets. But that doesn't mean that they can't be applied to you. It would be reasonable to be skeptical about somebody telling you that you can accomplish that. But today, we are actually are going to see how that is quite possible. Let me set the stage for that discussion. We all know that the population is aging and there are more aged individuals than there are people replacing them in the workforce. To partially offset that workforce age gap, 43% of jobs that don't require creative thinking will be automated by 2032. That's in just nine years. But when we start to look at, let's say, the logistics world, where in 2020, the automation value was around $49.7 billion, it is projected to be $147.4 billion by 2030. That is a lot of growth in what is arguably a tough field. But you can actually accomplish that. All it requires is you understanding the barriers to your bias, working creatively to overcome them, and staying with a little bit of discomfort to actively prevent bias, and that's what allows for the growth in innovation. My name is George Nagel, and I'm a creative innovation consultant and keynote speaker. I've worked in more than 24 different fields. I have led a $352 million portfolio. I've been a global executive. And at one point, we launched 19 products in the span of 14 months. I also have multiple different accreditations in fields of innovation, along with having an MS and an MBA. Let's get started by laying out the three things that we are going to accomplish today. One, we are going to understand the barriers to bias. Two, we are going to creatively overcome habits that actually form bias. And three, we're going to understand how a little discomfort will actively prevent bias, allowing for us to grow and innovate. Let's begin with those barriers to bias. To do this well, I need you to do three things with me. One, have a little bit of fun with this today. Really get into it. Two, be present. Be mindful. Be in the moment. And three, and probably most importantly, be open. Be open to what's being said. Be extremely honest with yourself. Understand that change is probably going to have to take place. And it could be with things, with situations, with people, but most likely with you. And when you recognize how powerful that last step is, you will be able to tap into your creativity and make things happen quicker than most people could ever imagine. Draw a house. Let's tap into that creativity right now. I need you to grab a pen and maybe a piece of paper or just a scrap piece of paper or a post-it note and have that in front of you. If you don't have that, pause right now until you can get that. Okay, what we're going to do is I'm going to tell you guys to go and then I'm gonna to count to seven. And what I want you to do is something extraordinarily simple but I need you to be ready right now to do it. 
I want you to draw a house. Go. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, stop. Now, it would be impractical for me to look at what everybody did, mainly because this is a one-way video, but let me describe what most of you drew. You have a rectangle bottom, you have a triangle roof, you have a door midway into your house, the doorknob is on the right, you have windows on either side of the door, and maybe even one in the door. Oh, and you can bet your bottom dollar you have crosses on those windows. Some of you might have been a little bit quicker and put a chimney, and it has to have smoke coming out of it, and some of you might have actually gone as far as to have a garage, and the garage is on the left side of the house. I know that I'm about 90 to 95% accurate for what most of you drew. Here's what I'd like you to do. I want you to take that house and just set it to the side for a moment. We're gonna come back to it. I recognize that might have felt a little bit weird and out of context, but that's a good thing. That means you're in a little bit of discomfort, and today we're trying to infuse that just a little bit. Barriers to creativity and bias. So let's talk about some barriers that actually build up to our bias, but there are also barriers to our creativity. And the first one we're gonna discuss is time. Time is really a significant barrier to our creativity, and it is something that influences our bias. Now here's a truth about humans. We are terrible with the concept of time. Like we get the concept of, of seconds and minutes, but how time relates to us, we're terrible with it. Everybody thinks that the past, well, that was, that was just yesterday, now that was like a decade ago, or how far the future feels away. We're not great with that concept. But let's talk about time as a need for developing and moving forward, specifically for developing our creativity. We need to take time to develop creativity. And it's through creativity that we can start to overcome bias. You don't need a lot of time. 15 minutes a day, and it can range from anything from, from reading or listening to an audiobook or actually getting into a different sport that elates new feelings in our bodies. It can also be simply laughing or looking at art. 15 minutes a day, not a big ask. The second barrier, language. It is probably the biggest barrier that we have to consider because of how it influences others around us. Now there's that natural, obvious barrier with language when somebody who speaks English is speaking to somebody who doesn't and they speak German. Okay, but what about when everybody still speaks the same language but there's regional differences and inflection happens in different areas that influences the meaning? Or, how about words that are used by two different generations that have two different meanings? That's a big barrier to communication. But language is more than that. It is also about how we brand. And I don't mean our, our company and our assets. I mean how we are branded in a professional sense and how we're branded in a personal sense. Those are all components of the language. And when we can dig deep into that, we can start to master and move our bias because we can see it as what it is. It's a tool for communication. Now, the third barrier to creativity and to bias 
is probably the most influential when it comes to bias, and it's risk aversion. It's us staying in our comfort zones. The world is changing rapidly. It is changing more rapidly than it ever has. And when we start to consider that, and we look at things such as the dynamics of population and how that's going to influence things moving into the future in terms of automation, that's a big change. But what if we applied something that's a little bit more specific? What if we look at, say, freight forwarders and how they've automated their customer service to the point of frustration for most people? But at the same time, they're a little bit more reluctant to automate their warehouses. It would seem almost counterintuitive for people in the industry to flip those, to remove the automation from customer service and apply it to their warehouses. There's a bias that says, well, that's, that's too expensive. We've, we've tried that and the costs are too high. It seems counterproductive. It goes against the prevalent belief. That prevalent belief is based in fear. So what can we do to overcome that risk aversion? Well, we need to understand fear, and we're gonna talk about that. Now, the fourth part of the barriers that we're talking about is a unique one because it wouldn't sound like it should be a barrier, but it really is. Voice of customer. Now, a lot of companies say that they're really good at voice of customer. Okay, you at least do something, so that's good. But if you're really good with voice of customer, it's gotta be really authentic. And it also needs to incorporate what's being said to you from your customers. If we go back to that example of flipping the automation on warehouses and customer service, people will tell you they don't want automation in customer service. But yet, that's where companies go. The companies that don't actually right now are flourishing compared to the companies that do that. Because people feel that they're being heard and in voice of customer, if you can't see them, hear them, and speak with them, you're not really doing voice of customer. All you're really doing is getting sound bites and missing out on the opportunity to demonstrate to them first that you're invested in them first. And then you're willing to stay present with them and be open to what they suggest. That leads us right into the fifth barrier, neglected ideas. Ideas that come from customers or even internally that are basically ignored. And when I say ignored, I mean that there's no feedback given to them or they're just pushed to the side. You're neglecting that idea. You're neglecting that originator. You're causing some damage to the point where most people stop giving input, not only to you, but to others as well. Another area where we see neglected ideas are when ideas are given and then they come inside and they get diluted down. And they go from being a great innovation to a mere iteration of something that's already on the market. And by the way, about 99% of ideas fall into this category. It is really the arch nemesis of creativity. And it is based in bias. How about the third part of neglected ideas? The ideas that are just killed before their time. These are the ideas that somebody throws out the idea and then some subcommittee very early on just says no. Even if it's aligned with the strategy, 
uh, no, I don't, I don't like that. There's no logic for data presented. I just don't like that. It's, it's not given a moment to shine. But then there's the ideas that are killed unintentionally because it was a really good idea and people liked it, but the technology, the world, wasn't ready and it just got lost. Imagine if Bell Atlantic had lost the ideas for text messaging and voice messaging that were conceived in the 1940s, but it took another arguably 55 years before the technology caught up. You are the barrier. Okay, so let's talk about the sixth barrier, and it is the biggest barrier to creativity, and it's you. You are the single biggest creative barrier to your life. Understand this, that the person that you lie to with the most ease and most often is yourself. You do it all the time. We all do it. It's not just you, it's all of us. We all do that. And I don't want you to really get hung up on that idea because it's what has allowed you to make it this far in life, right? Your bias, which is what is allowing you to lie to yourself all the time and preventing you from doing things has gotten you to this point. It's really hard to argue with success until you recognize that you want more and to get more, you have to change because doing what you're doing now isn't enough. It's just enough to get you where you've been. Being human. So why is that? Why is this such an aspect of, of humans? Well, there's really three things that define us as a species. The first is survival. That is survival as we are and then survival into the next generation. But you know what, that's not unique to humans, right? Like that's every single species on the face of the planet. So the second aspect, and these build on top of each other, is social. We're social creatures. But again, that's not unique to us. That applies to all, say, mammals. We're all social. It is a survival mechanism that also introduces plenty of mates, so again, that we can survive into the next generation. The third, and this one does really define humans, is the need to be right. There are eight billion views or different perceptions, and another way to say that is different biases, that all believe that they need to be correct. That is a lot of people offering out that their view is right. When we know that's simply not true. In fact, even correctness is a collective definition by humans. It's really functional, right? Like two plus two equals four. Great, we can all get behind that. But that is a collective definition that we've all come to. It doesn't mean that it's actually right, it's just how we define it. Neuroplasticity. Let's get a little bit more into how that human mind works and how it forms that neuroplasticity that allows for bias. Now, you can close your eyes if you like. Not everybody's an eye closed person. I certainly am not. But I want you to imagine your life as just a little, little bump. And that little bump, as you physically grow, is going to grow into a mountain. Now, as we walk through this exercise, I want you to picture 
every sense you've ever had, be it a taste, a touch, a smell, a sight, or a sound, as every single one of those individual things being a raindrop falling down onto your mountain. As we start off in life, we're just this little bump. So all of those things coming and crashing down on us just kind of wash over us. But as we start to grow, that is where we start to see little puddles forming. And then we see these little trickles of lines starting to form. And as we start to reach into our toddler years, we see little streams, tiny little veins of streams starting to run down our mountain. But as we start to get older and our mountain starts to get steeper as we get taller, those little streams start to erode and start to carve. And what they're really doing is transforming from these little streams into some rivers. And by the time that we're a young adult, we have some fairly decent rivers, not quite super big yet, but we have some rivers forming. But what happens when you get three, 10, 25, 40 years into a career? Well, now those streams and those rivers are really deep and they're running really, really fast. What happens to you when your rivers and your streams that are running incredibly fast and are incredibly deep lead to a waterfall because the world changed and you weren't able to because you were stuck in that river. Now, I'm gonna tell you a personal story. When I was eight, I was walking across an ice stream um, that wasn't completely ice and I fell in. And I have almost drowned seven times. This is just one of them. You would think I would learn. But in that moment, I, I couldn't get out. It was just too fast and it was carrying me down. Now, I don't know what inspired my brain to look downstream and pick a point and move towards it, but I did just that and that is how I got out. Not so hard to necessarily get out compared to a roaring river. And the way to get out of a roaring river is obviously with help. And that's how we collectively can help each other because my rivers aren't your rivers. They're not the same rivers as your colleagues or your partners or your children or your friends. So we can help each other by seeing other people's streams and other people's rivers. To do that, you have to be open. And that openness, as I said in the beginning, is really that key to unlocking this bias and moving forward. It is the key to almost co-mingling the rivers and these streams. And you know what happens when you co-mingle rivers and streams and you do it on a level playing field, right? Because my mountain and somebody else's mountain, in between us, there's space. It's a level playing field. Well, they form a lake. You know what happens at a lake? A lot of fun, right? Because they're expansive, they, they sponsor all sorts of different things. They can also be really calming. They're a sense of relief. And that is where we can really get some power to understanding why we do some of the things that we do when we recognize that our bias is potentially sending us over that waterfall. And that's not where anybody wants to be. I certainly don't want to be there because if I thought getting out of a fast moving stream was scary, going over a waterfall, probably a lot scarier. Afraid versus fear. We need to talk about the concept of what being afraid is, is compared to fear. When we're born, we have fear of three things. 
a loud noise, abandonment, and falling. That's it. Everything else is learned. And below you see a, a small child who obviously is afraid of a tiger. Well, he was taught that. If you put a six-month-old who doesn't hear any loud sounds, who potentially can't see mom or dad's freaked out face, a tiger walking up to them who's being quiet and calm, chances are that baby's going to laugh. They don't know that they're in danger. Of course, that's why we have the parents and, and they would remove that for us. But that survival mechanism of fear has gotten us to this point. It is also something that is holding us back. Don't get me wrong. If you have a tiger staring you down, yeah, you should be afraid. You absolutely should be afraid. But understand that being afraid is about a physical threat to you or to somebody that you love. Fear now is a concept that you came up with and then made assumptions about. Join me for part two as we take a deeper look into fear, failing, habits, and resistance to change. To ensure you catch part two, subscribe to this channel. I would be really grateful if you could also leave a like and a review. Cheers.